pad. I do need a little bit more room because I'm going to use these notes, but that's all right. Y'all don't mind if I just kind of shuffle stuff around, do you? We, um, for those of you in focus, we have, I like to put the whole stage down right then. I need to get somewhere and get still. That's what I need to do before I mess up everything up here. I think y'all did what Larry had been threatening for years. He kept telling me he was going to surround me with barbed wire to make me stand still. He finally got me standing still. I moved one time and about knock all the lights over. Um, so if you guys in focus, I'll just tell you, we, we've been studying in Acts for over a year now. We've, we've done several studies through books of the Bible, and that's where we are tonight. We, we were in Acts chapter 18. That would have been two weeks ago um, when we kind of ran out of time there at verse number 17. So we're going to pick up tonight on our study. Just so you guys know, it doesn't matter that you don't feel like you've missed a whole year worth of study, so you can't catch up where it's at. Every night is an independent study. Um, every night, every verse, every, every verse in the Bible is an independent study. We could take and do one verse each night from now on, and, and every single verse would have an independent study. I do want to do, a, I'm not going to do all the prayer requests before we start tonight, but I do want to mention a couple to you. Um, Charlie Treadwell and Richard Starr both had a heart attack a few months back. You guys remember that and been in recovery. Well, Richard's having some tests run this week. He's still having complications from that. And um, Charlie was in the hospital today. Um, he had cataract surgery yesterday, went really well. Not sure anything had to do with that, but he's had a lot of, a lot of problem breathing. Um, had to go to the ER, and they were still running some tests. I don't really have anything else back from that. I got a call today from, from Richard Lindemood. I'm not sure if all you guys know Dawn, Richard and Dawn Lindemood, but she is also, and Larry's texting me to turn my mic on. Sorry, y'all. Um, she is in the hospital here. Uh, she, she's having some kidney dialysis and problems, but the text today said that she's had several little strokes and, and, and has had one bad stroke. I think you guys, I think Wendy sent out something as well to the ladies, but I would ask if you would certainly be praying for Dawn. Um, Larry Hook is another one I really would like to go ahead and mention to you tonight. Larry fell on Sunday, uh, apparently during church, well, Dale mentioned to me in church that he might have to leave Larry had fallen, broke his shoulder, broke his hip. They did some surgeries yesterday. Um, surgeries went well, but a lot of recovery there, so I certainly would ask you to to be praying for those guys, and certainly go to your faithforgrange.com. Check your prayer list there. Everybody on there is there for a reason. Um, I do want to give you guys and, and focus, you guys included, if you got somebody on your heart or something you need to add to the prayer list. Anybody got anything we need to add before we look in the book of Acts tonight? Everybody's all bashful. I'm not used to it, not the adults. Let's pray. God, thank you so, so much for being so incredibly good. God, thank you for love. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you, Father, for long-suffering and patience and kindness. And Father, thank you, God, that, that you can love us in spite of us. Thank you for this book. Thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the countless many wonderful, undeserved blessings that you've freely given to us. Father, I pray, Lord, you meet each of these needs tonight, sicknesses and, and problems, God, that, that, that just people are dealing with now. Father, I pray you'd intercede. I pray You'd be with the children as they practice, God. I pray ahead to, to the choir cantata this week, Lord. I pray you'd bless the work, the efforts that's being done there. I pray you'd be in the midst. But, God, I pray tonight, would you do something for us right here tonight? I pray you'd speak to our hearts. I pray you'd stir something in us, God, that we'd walk out of here to a better servant than what we were when we come in. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So, so Acts chapter 18, verse 17, we left off. If you remember, a couple weeks ago, the Jews had arrested the apostle Paul. They brought him up for a trial. And because they really didn't have any good evidence, their, their case was kicked out of the courts. Their, their accusations had no real merit. If you remember, they took Sosthenes, a brother in Christ, and they carried him out and they beat him up. You know, somebody's going to have to pay, right? And they, they couldn't do it to Paul, so they beat him up as, as he went out. And in the past, when we've seen Paul arrested, and we've been looking at Paul for several weeks now, and we see the Apostle Paul, not only has he been arrested, he's been beaten, he has been stoned, uh, he's been run out of town. Every town that he's been in, he's gone in, he's shared the gospel, he's gone into the synagogue, preached to the Jews, and eventually the Jews have run him out of town. So here we find him, that, that, that he's here and he's spreading the gospel, he's been arrested, but remember Remember two, three, four weeks ago when God came to Paul in a vision by night? And basically what he said is, don't worry about it. Nobody's going to hurt you here. I got you covered here. Remember, I have much people. We looked at it specifically that week about how I have much people in this place. We even looked back at the prophet Elijah where God told him, I have much people in this place. And we looked at how God always has your back. God's always got your side. He's always got you covered. We have to learn how to trust him. So, so Paul is able to stay here with confidence, knowing that God has him protected. So at this time after the arrest, it, it's not like in the past where after the arrest and being beaten, he's pretty much had to flee that city and move on. It says in verse, eight, verse number 18 that after Paul, after Paul after this tarried there yet a good while. And then he took leave of the brethren and sailed thence into Syria. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centraea, for he had a vow. Now we know from different letters that Paul stayed in Corinth for several more months after this, this happened there in verse number 17 before he headed off to Centralia. We don't really know why he shaved his head. I mentioned that a little bit as we were closing the last time. There are enough reasons that I could waste the rest of your time tonight, all of Sunday and probably the next three weeks, giving you all the different reasons that commentators and people have come up with and why he might have made a Nazarite vow. Well, there's nothing in there. So the bottom line is I'm not going to spend any time there because it doesn't matter. The text says he shaved his head. It doesn't say why. So it really doesn't matter why. If God had thought it was important, he would have told us exactly why. Amen? If the Holy Spirit thought we needed to know, he, he would have shared that part right there. So here in Corinth, many people have been saved. A church has been formed. And now Paul heads down to the, the easternmost port city here at Corinth. He's headed toward Jerusalem. And the, the Bible says that Aquila and Priscilla are going with him. Anybody ever look at things and you think that's a mistake? I mean, it's just human nature. I mean, why are they going with him? They, they live here at Corinth. They're Christians. They're, they're established in the faith. They're active members of this new church. I mean, they could be a great access to the church, right? A, 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 great, a great help, a great asset. Um, why, why would they be going? Obviously, obviously, as is always, God always has a plan. What God's doing in our lives don't always make sense. What God's doing in someone else's life around you doesn't always make sense. What's happening in your friend's life sometimes is bad, and they're not doing anything that you can see wrong. So, so all I can say is that God always has a plan if, if we'll just follow his lead. Now, we see later on, Aquila and Priscilla, they're going to move on to Rome. Eventually, they become great 
people, great workers in the church at Rome. They spend a lot of time there. But for right now, God has had them go with Paul, and he leaves them here at Ephesus. Verse number 19, he come to Ephesus and left them there. Now, if, if you left Corinth, you left your successful business, you left your home to go with Paul, you wouldn't have thought one of the first stops was your drop-off point, right? If Paul's headed to Jerusalem and he's going back for the feast and for the Passover and all this there, you, you would have to think the reason they were going would have probably been to attend that feast, to go to the church at Jerusalem, to be a part. But what we see is at the very per first place, God has them stop there. Now, what we see is always Paul's custom. When he goes in, he goes into the, into the synagogue, and that's what he does here. He, he begins to preach to the Jews. And see, this, this is a big step here at Ephesus, because this is the most important city in all of Asia Minor. Anybody ever heard saying all roads lead to Rome? I know people my age and around mine have all roads lead to Rome. It's an old saying. Well, in, in, in Asia Minor, all roads lead to Ephesus. It is the major port city, the single most important. Mountains on both sides, a big river coming down into it, and they kind of plateaus out. And so they have this huge port there and everything comes in and out now because of its location it is the capital of the roman province here in asia the problem with ephesus is idolatry idolatry is now we saw it in athens athens remember athens was full of idolatry you remember we looked at that at all the different gods all the different things they worship I and mean, they they had a God for a hangnail, a God for a toothache, a God for an earache, a God to make your hair grow, a God to make your hair fall out, a God to make it not turn gray. I mean, they, they, they had all kinds of made-up gods. And that's what they were, made-up gods. They made all kinds of statues and stuff. So, so they had to stop that. They try and rub that head. I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry. You had to put up with that all the time. I just had to do it for little spurts. I'm praying for you. Top of the list. Top of the list. Now, what was I even at? Oh, the gods. So Athens had all, all the gods, all the stuff. And if you remember, they had the one called the, un, the unknown God. And we talked about how Paul was brought into the courtroom, and he used the unknown God as a platform. Let me introduce you to the unknown God, because he's not unknown. You just don't know who he is. Well, that's not the problem here at Ephesus. The problem at Ephesus is they are very famous for Artemis. That would be um, the, the temple of the, the false goddess, but the goddess Diana. So this is a very well-known port, literally all around the region, everybody knows. It says that Paul left Aquila and Priscilla there. So I, I don't know, maybe they were supposed to go with them, but obviously they, they stay here behind because that's what the text says that they did. As Paul spoke to the Jews, we see that many of them are receptive to the teaching of, of Jesus Christ. And we've seen that a lot when Paul goes into the synagogue. There's always like a handful that are receptive to the word. But then the hierarchy there in the synagogues always gather against Paul and, and throw him out. But what we see here is that there are several that are hearing the word of Jesus Christ. They want to know more. They want to know more about this salvation. They tried to get him to stay. Verse number 20 says, they desired him to tarry longer time with them. He consented not. They wanted him to stay. They're like, man, this stuff we're hearing is good. We want to know more. And so they're basically begging him to stay. But he had to go. He said he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. Very important statement right here. I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. I will tell you, I'm not going to waste a lot of your time right here. I studied as to why is he in a hurry. Because the feast is still quite a ways away from the date and time that we have here. There's really nothing that shows why he has to be in a hurry to leave. I'm not sure what it is. But obviously, the Holy Spirit is urging him to go. 
But I love the statement because we've looked at it several times already studying the life of Paul to, to make this part of your life. Never say I will, say if it's the Lord's will. Everything if it's the Lord's will. We, we make plans and we, we say this is what I'm going to do and that's what I'm going to do. Well, we don't know that. So I love the statement, if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to come back and I'm going to visit with you again. So what we see in the story is that God has a special plan for Ephesus. You don't see it when Paul first leaves Corinth. You don't see it when Aquila and Priscilla go with him. But you begin to see that, that God is planting some seeds here. God's doing a work here at Ephesus. What he does, he has Paul go in and, and clear out some land. He has him go in and lay off some rows and begin to plant some seed. And listen, that's what you're doing a lot of times in people's lives. You, you talk to people, you deal with people. And I mean, it's like they've never been around a church. They're, they're, there's nothing in their life that shows any form of Christianity. They haven't been raised in a, in a home where people know Christ. They haven't been raised in a home that went to church. And so they're way out there in the world. Sometimes you don't get to just go in and lead them to the Lord. You've got to start out by clearing some underbrush. If you only get to a harvest, there's not a harvest until there's been a whole lot of work. Somewhere you have to clear some trees. You have to lay off some land. You've got to lay some rows. You've got to plant some seed. You've got to keep them watered. You've got to hoe up some weed. And eventually there's a harvest. But it has to start somewhere. And that's what we see with the Apostle Paul. He, he goes in and, and he basically furrows out some ground. He, he lays off some rows. And we see that, that Aquila and Priscilla, they basically, they stay here to water, they stay to water the seed. Now, once the work's been done so that it doesn't die out, they just stay behind. In verse 22, when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and saluted the church, he went down to Antioch. So the first thing we see is that he went to the church just to let everybody know he loved them. He goes to the church at Jerusalem, hugs on the brethren, talks to those at will. I'm sure there was a lot of those snub-nosed of, of the hierarchy of the Israel Jewish elite. That, that didn't like him being there. But those within the church that loved the Lord Jesus Christ would have been ecstatic to see the Apostle Paul come back through Jerusalem. So he goes by there, has a little bit of fellowship time. And then after he had spent some time there, he departed. And he went over all the country of Galatia, Phrygia, in order, strengthening all the disciples. So what we know, what we know from dates and from letters is Paul spent about three months at Antioch. And then he departed because... Paul had to get to work. Bottom line, this is almost kind of like a furlough coming off of a mission trip. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll look at it in a minute as how that's the end of the second missionary journey. But you know how missionaries, just like, well, not really Sunday's not a good idea because he, he's here now. He works in the States. But when we, normally we have missionaries come in and speak on Sunday. They're home on furlough. They, they've been overseas for a long time. They, they take three weeks a month, sometimes two, two and a half months. They come home. So... You could almost kind of relate this to a furlough that they went back to Jerusalem. We know that he's here for about three months, but, but Paul wasn't a man to waste time. See, we live in a world today, number one, we are a very wasteful society. Not just all the stuff that we throw away. Not, not just all the stuff that we don't take care of and let it run, but we're very wasteful of time. We, we are squandered, and we're like, man, you don't know what I'm talking you don't, you lost your mind. I don't have enough time. That's because we waste so much of it. Now, that's just reality, and it's pretty easy to prove some of it. We spend so much time text messaging. We spend so much time Facebook. We spend so much time gossiping. We spend so much time YouTube. We spend so much time TikTok. That's wasted time. The, the majority of that is wasted time, especially if it involves gossip. Especially involves just putting stuff out. Paul, Paul didn't have time for any of that. He, he had the Lord's work on his mind. I can give you another one. 
It, we're very good today at almost, almost hate to say wasting time right here. I want to find a better word because it's so personal. Watching sports. Oh, Lord, God, help us now. I mean, it's college football season. Why you got to put that in here now? You know what I mean? So we, we got what? To the 13th of the makeshift bowl game start? I mean, I, I'm, I promise you, I'm as guilty of that as anybody. If, there, if there's any way to get it in, I'm watching some college football. On Saturday, if y'all get sick, God help you. I'll pray for you at halftime. I'm sorry, that's a lie. <laughs> Unless it's a Georgia game, that may be the truth. See, I'm terrible. It, but it's not just me. That's us. We squander a lot of time. Paul says, I got my own race to run. I don't have time to watch sports. I don't have time to do stuff. He says, there, there's some souls out there. You know, a lot of people, they, they, it's really squandering time. They are so busy trying to make money. They're always at work, always at work, always got to work, can't go to church, got to go to work. Can, can I tell you, for somebody that's always trying to make money, this is a promise. You can write it down. It will never change. They will never make enough. It's a fact. If you think your goal is you got to have a million dollars, I can go ahead and tell you right now, all a million dollars is going to just drive you that you got to have two. Because if you ever get to the million mark, then you know you got to have another million because you don't ever want to have to work that hard. And the first one's the hardest. And, and then, then, when you, then if you ever make it to two, you feel like that's protected. Now you got to have four. If you get to four, you got to have eight. You never want to lose. I'm telling you, pe people invest so much time driven, 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 driven by work, trying to make money. But money ain't ever going to do it for you. The apostle Paul worked. He had a job, right? He's a tent maker. That's why he lived with Aquila and Priscilla, because they were tent makers. So and we know that he was a tent maker because he talked about how he did things. He did just enough to provide for himself so that he wasn't a burden to anybody, right? That's what the scriptures tell us. I'm not a burden on anyone. So he, he had a job. He, he worked, but his main focus was the fact that there's a world full of sinners out there that are lost and going to hell. And somebody needs to tell them about Jesus Christ. And that was his focus. But, but this return trip, as I mentioned, th this is kind of like the end of Paul's second missionary journey. He comes back to Jerusalem for a little bit, and this would be the beginning of his third missionary journey. And that's important because the third missionary journey is very different from the first two. There, there's a whole different context. There's a whole different direction. There's a whole different purpose on this third missionary journey. Verse 23 says that, that the journey says that he is strengthening all the disciples. On the first two missionary journeys, the sole purpose was to follow the Holy Spirit to the city that he said that he was to go to, that he might tell the lost about Jesus Christ so that souls might be saved and that he might build a church. And that's why you have the church at Corinth, the church at Galatia, the church at Ephesus, the church at Rome, because that's what God did. He sent him around building churches. But this one's different. This one, he, he's going back. Not, yes, he's going to preach salvation to the lost because he always does. But that's what every Christian's supposed to do. Preach salvation to the lost. But, but the main purpose of this one is to teach the church, to exhort, to instruct, to help the church, to help Christians learn about Christ, to help Christians learn how to live a holy life, to help Christians, those in the church, learn how to live a life pleasing to God so that we might reach others with Christ. So what we see there in verse 22, 23, and a lot of times you cover a whole chapter that's still in the same place. In, in these two verses, Paul covers about 1,500 miles, either by foot or by water. So, so Luke covers a lot of ground right here in these two verses to get Paul back out on the mission field. But 
when Paul came through the last time, he was coming into the cities, going first to the synagogue to establish what Christians he could, taking them out and going and telling others, and building a church until they ran him out of the city. This time he's coming back to the churches that he's already built. He's coming back to encourage. See, what the church needed was instruction. It, it's, it's the same with you and I. See, once, once Paul had helped younger Christians, once Paul had helped the church, once he had strengthened and taught and encouraged them, then he could leave them there to do the work of the evangelist. He didn't have to come in and spend all of his time in the city trying to build the church. He had to strengthen and educate, if you will, the church so that they might go out and tell others about Christ so that the church might grow through the membership of the church. So we see that this third missionary journey is completely different. It's the same thing that we're supposed to do today. We're, we're, we're here tonight to learn. We're here on Sunday to learn. We're, we're here when we come to the house of God. The purpose for coming here is not to do a checklist. It's not a to-do list. It's not because mom and dad made me come. It's not because I had to come to bring my children because they wanted to come. We're to be here to learn. We're to come to the house of God to, to get our charger plugged in, get our batteries recharged so that tomorrow morning we can go out there and punch hell right in the mouth. We can go out there and kick the devil right in the teeth. But it takes energy. It takes some learning. It takes some scripture. It, it takes the word of God in us. So the reason we come to church is to learn things about the word of God. And so that's kind of what Paul is doing here in this one. Verse number 24, we, we see, I mentioned that God had a plan for Ephesus. God always has a plan. He says that a certain Jew named Apollos, born of Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. So God sent Paul there with Aquila and, and Priscilla to, to plow some ground, to get a work started, to try to knock off this, this Artemis, this temple Diana, to try to knock down some of the idolatry and at least put the name of Jesus Christ. Can, can I just put this out there for free? Most of the time, the easiest way if you want to deal with people is, is you just mention an idea and leave it alone. You, you just put it out there for a little bit and, and let them hear it and leave it alone. And, and you come back by a little bit later and you mention it again and maybe add another sentence to it. Maybe put one more little thing and, and just leave it alone. And people will find themselves and start thinking about it. And maybe you come by a month later or two months later and, and you bring it up and you put it out there and you talk a little more detail and just leave it alone. And before you know it, the people will think it's a great idea. Matter of fact, they'll think it's their idea. You, you just you put things out. You See... The devil is very subtle. You've heard me talk about it a lot. The devil doesn't just start out to destroy a home, destroy your life. He's very subtle. He just offers you something that's very innocent. It looks very simplistic. It's very simple. But, but it's like Adam and Eve. With Eve, he said, look, just look at the fruit. What could be harmful about that, right? I mean, just look at it. Well, that can't hurt you. I mean, look at everything. So she looks at it. She never should have looked at it. Look, there ain't nothing wrong with it. Just touch it. Just, oh, just touch it. There can't nothing wrong. God is not about to touch it. So, so she touched it. See how the devil does? That's how he does. He just lures in. The reason why is because he knows that's what kind of people we are. He knows how to lure us in. Well, the same thing is true in the ministry. We're, we're a people. You can't, mo most of the time, you can't just meet somebody out there on the street that, that is lost to the goat. They don't care nothing about church. ain't heard anything about Christ. And you just want to try to lead them to Christ. That's probably never going to happen. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not doubting the power of God. I'm just not. But if the Holy Spirit hasn't already been working in that heart, you're, all you're doing is plowing ground. I'm not saying you're wasting time. That's not what I said. 
I said, you're not going to get the harvest right then. You, 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 but you put it out there. You still got to clear some brush or plow some ground or plant some seed or water some seed, whatever it is you got to do. We, we still have to, to put it out there. And, that, and that's kind of what, what Paul went. He put some rows of Quilla and Priscilla. They've been watering some seed. But now God, he sends this man Apollos there to help him. He sends more help at Ephesus. It says that he is from Alexandria. That is the largest city of the Roman Empire. That is the place where the original Hebrew text was converted over into the Greek language. That is a very important city. This, this is a man with some pull. This is a man with, with some, some stature about him. He, and he comes in, and, and the Bible says that he was an eloquent man. Now, we think of that as somebody with proper oral skills. Somebody the exact opposite of me that has a correct dialogue and some good English. And they, they have a great speaking capability. But, but the word used here means that he was learned. That means that he knew the scriptures and that he understood the scriptures. And that he knew how to effectively translate or to share the scriptures with others. So it's obvious that he's heard about Jesus based on what it says about him. And, and of course, we'll see him a lot more in the text in Apollos. And we see Paul write to him in the letters of the church at Corinth. So he's obviously a, a Christian. It says in verse 25 that he was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. So he has a passion to tell others about Jesus Christ. But he has a flaw because it says that all he knows is the baptism of John. Now, that alone gives us some direction as to where he must have heard about Jesus Christ. More than likely, it wasn't Jerusalem. Everybody knew about the baptism of, of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. Everybody knew about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. Controversial, maybe, but nonetheless knew about it. More than likely, he probably heard about Christ somewhere around the region of Galilee where, where John spent a lot of time. And the baptism of John is, is very well known. But, but God sends Apollos there to Ephesus so that Aquila and Priscilla can help him and that he can help them. See, here's what you have. Paul started, started something. He left Aquila and Priscilla to work on it. They need some help. They're not enough by themselves. Here you got this man that's a very eloquent man. He's a man of God. He has a passion to share the gospel. But he also needs some help because part of his doctrine is wrong. So what we see is that Aquila and Priscilla, they don't call him out. To, to have stopped him when he was speaking, to have stopped him when he was preaching, however you want to label it, that would have been considered discord. That would have been confusion, and God's not the author of confusion. So, so we see what it did. They, they called him out privately. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, verse 26, whom Aquila and Priscilla had heard. They took, un, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. That phrase, took him, it carries a meaning that they, they befriended him. They made friends with Apollo. Normally it would have been the custom of the day. What you can just about guarantee they did is they invited him home for dinner. After church, they invited him to the house. They come in and Priscilla fixed up some groceries and, and, and he sat around. They, they talked for a while. And then after dinner, they began to expound. They began to teach him something in, in this private setting. They began to tell him about the baptism of Jesus Christ, the baptism, the anointing, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, what the text doesn't tell us is if he knew anything about the Apostle Paul or if he knew anything about the work of the Apostle Paul. It's assumed that he probably didn't know much, but it's also assumed that Aquila and Priscilla probably told him quite a bit about the Apostle Paul. Probably told him quite a bit about 
to work as an evangelist and the work that he had done there at Ephesus and how this church, this people that you just spoke to, he's the one that started this. He came in and founded it. And it says in verse 27, when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. Writing of letters, as we know, you sit in the Bible all the time. The writing of letters was a big deal. If someone's at a church, and without spending a lot of time back, remember when, when, when those causing problems came to the church up at Antioch, uh, and, and they caused problems in the church. They claimed that they were from the church at Jerusalem. Remember that? Well, the kids, it's our kids, what kids? Young adults, teenagers, y'all don't because you wasn't in there. But, but the, what the letter did is the church would give a solid Christian, a, a foundational leader, a letter that says, hey, you can trust this guy. This guy's the real deal. This guy's legit. This guy's a worker in the church. Trust him. Use him. The Lord's hand is on him. So what it did, it kind of gave him an input, if you will, when he got to the church to, to, to help him so that he didn't have to prove himself. And people weren't doubting him. So, so they gave him the letter to, to go on. And, and he sets out to become a great tool there in the church at Corinth. Now, he's obviously someone who earned a lot of respect from the Apostle Paul. Don't really know how Paul learned all that he knew about him, how they learned so much about each other. But, but obviously, because of the things that Paul wrote about him and, and then when he wrote to him or mentioned him in letters, he obviously had earned the respect of the Apostle Paul. If you remember, when Paul was in Corinth, he got run out of town, right? Right? Anybody that was over there? He, he, he got... He got beat. The Jews all gathered around him. And he got run out of town. That doesn't mean that God's mercy left Corinth. Anybody with me? Just because they made a mistake, just because they said no, just because they run the man of God out of town, didn't mean that God turned their back on them. I'm very thankful that God is so merciful because I turned my back a whole lot of times. I was as bad as any Corinth ever was. I grew up in church. I heard it. I knew I was just like y'all, I, I, I had to learn Bible verses. I had to do the little Sunday school plays. I had to do everything that children do in church. I had to do everything that high schoolers had to do in church. But it wasn't in here. It was in here, but it wasn't in here. And, and, and there's a big difference. There's a very short distance. This is how far heaven and hell is apart. But because heaven's when you put it in here and hell is when you only have it in here. So there's a very short distance between the two. So, so... When Paul got run out of Corinth, what we see is that God wasn't through with them. God didn't forget about them just because they ran his apostle out. God had a plan there as well. It says in verse 28, there in the last verse of the chapter, he mightily convinced the Jews. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Jews are the ones that ran Paul out. The Jews are the ones that created up all the stir. And, and here it's talking about Apollos said that he mightily convinced the Jews and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. Now, for those of those that was in there, that's the same thing Paul tried to do. Paul tried to start at a point and walk them through the Old Testament, walk them through the scriptures and show them the fulfillment of prophecy. And Paul tried to show them that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. He is the Messiah that was, that was promised, that he is the fulfillment of the scriptures. And he got beat up and run out of town. Now you get another man comes back. See, here's why it's important. Because Paul, uh, God sent another person. Another personality. 
another presentation, another type of speaker. God didn't give up on him. He just sent him something different a while later. He let what Paul had shared kind of settle in. He let the church that was built there kind of spread a little bit and put the gospel. But then God sent somebody back to these same Jews who heard and, and publicly showed them the scriptures that the Jews were convinced. Isn't God good? See, that's why we're all different. And that's why we're all important. There's not one of us who can reach everyone. But every one of us can reach someone. High school, you you reach guys that I will never even get to talk to. If I try to talk to them, they're not going to listen. You get people my age bracket, they they don't want to hear that. They're they're not going to listen for a minute. There's people sitting here right now that you can reach somebody that nobody else in here is ever going to reach. Every one of us, God has made different, but it's for a purpose. That's because everybody out there is just as different as everybody in here. And there's somebody out there that it'll connect. God may send an apostle Paul by to to knock the hardcore off. God may send an apostle Paul by to to stop them in the middle of their drunkenness and show them the error of their sin and hit them head on and almost offend them with the gospel because they're so bold with it. And and they they run the apostle off because they don't want to hear that. But then God gives them a little time and he sends somebody else with a little different personality that that connects. That's why it's so important that we just be who we are. But to be who we are, we've got to be who Christ wants us to be. If we want the world to, to be reached through us, it's important that our life follow this book. Christians on Sunday ain't going to reach nobody on Monday if you ain't still a Christian by Tuesday. So it's important that every one of us be who we are every single day because God made each one of us to be exactly who we are. And each one of us has an exact purpose in God's plan. And all we have to do is do exactly what God calls us to do. See, life isn't near as complicated as we make it. Trials are hard, but the trials are allowed by God. So if God allowed the trial, then he already has the way of escape planned, right? And what what the Word of God tells us? Storms are hard, but, but the storms are never so bad that Jesus can't walk on the water and speak peace, be still, and the storm goes away, right? So, so everything that we deal with, they're there, but everything that we deal with, God allowed it so that he might do something in us to shape who we are, just to make us better Christians. So we complicate life. And I say we, I hope I ain't this by myself. I complicate life, I'm sure you do too, by trying to do too much myself. Trying to fix too much myself. Trying to carry too much myself that ain't mine to carry. That was the whole thought behind this song this morning. That came up out of nowhere. Just take it to the Lord in prayer. And I, I couldn't even remember the name of the song. I sent it to Tim and I said, hey, these words right here, what song is that? I, I want to sing this song tonight. Well, I couldn't even remember. I just could remember the words there in that first verse about all the problems and all the stuff. Just take it to the Lord in prayer. So, so reality is what we can see there in the text is that God had a plan for an entire city that people be saved. And he sent somebody in to do the hard work. He sent somebody in to do a little bit of cultivating work. He sent somebody in to do a little preaching work. And eventually, he'll send somebody in to do the harvest. Paul, when he wrote his first letter to the church at Corinth, I'm fixing to have to be done. He says, brethren, I could not speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. He says, I I couldn't tell you the depths of the scriptures. 
I had to give you milk because you weren't far enough along to understand the big things of God. So I had to give you milk. I had to give you something as babes. I fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Then he says, neither yet are you, are you able. Neither yet now are you able. He says, you, you couldn't bear it then. I had to give you milk then. And you haven't grown any. You haven't grown any in Christ. You're still in the same place. Still going to have to give you milk. And in verse number 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying. Let, let me just break them down one by one. Where is there is among you envying? Where is there among you strife? Where is there among you divisions? All of those things. He says, are ye not carnal and walk as men? See, that stuff doesn't belong in the family of faith. Stuff doesn't belong in the house of God. Strife and envy and all that stuff doesn't matter. The word of God says that we're to love one another. And by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, that ye have love one for another. You want the world to know you're a disciple of Christ? Just love people. That, that's what Jesus said. See, the, the thing, it goes on there, verse number four, it says, While one saith, I'm of Paul. This is Paul writing this. He says, some say, I'm of Paul. Another, I'm of Apollos. Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believe? He says, I'm nobody and Apollos is nobody. We just happen to be the one that God let tell you about Jesus Christ. That doesn't make us anything. The whole story is still about Christ. So, so who is that? Even as the Lord gave to every man. Then he said, I have planted, Apollos watered. That's what we saw in Corinth. Paul came by, he planted, God sent Apollos in behind him. He and it says, but God gave the increase. Leading someone to the Lord, do the best you can. But don't sweat it if you can't. Just put some water on the seed and move on. You, you, may, be the, you may be the first dose of water on that seed. Or you may be the fifth bucket of water on that seed. It doesn't change the fact. Just share the gospel. But let people see in you what you're preaching. Don't let something come out of your mouth that ain't coming out of your life. It's called a hypocrite. So, so, so live it in front of them, and, and then we talk to them and just, just add the water. But it is God that supplies the harvest. God supplies the increase. Verse number 7 says, Neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that gave the increase. None of us are anything. Whether you're the one that plowed, whether you're the one that cleared the lamb, whether you're the one that planted, whether you're the one that watered. Even, even if we're the one that the Lord used for the harvest, we're nothing. That's what, that's what he says, that, that God, God alone is, is the one who giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Now, wait a minute. We just said it's different people, right? It is different people, but we're still one in Christ. We still got the same job. He, he, he says, neither is there anything that planteth, neither is there water. God giveth increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. I'm going to close with that, but I want to give you these, these two words right here. This, this word husbandry, it means that we are the keepers of the field. It means that we are the farmers. Our job here is to prepare the land, lay the rows, put the seed, pour the water, share the gospel, God will supply the increase. Anybody in here, did anybody in here get forced to be saved? You didn't because you can't. Because it's a free gift and you can't force someone to take a gift. You can offer it to them. It's up to them to take it. 
So, so none of it is by, by force. We, we are simply the farmer. We, we are simply God's, uh, God's that, that word husbandry. It, it means that, that we are the farmers. Our job is, is to do the work around the seed. But then Paul talks about the building. We're, we're laborers together, God, husband. Ye are God's building. Paul expounds a little bit more on the building in verse number 16 of the same text, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God. Listen, if you're the temple of God, we need to act like the temple of God, live like the temple of God, walk like the temple of God, talk like the temple of God, live like the temple of God. If we are the temple of God, that means the Holy Spirit is living in here. And if the Holy Spirit is living in here, then I can't act like the world. Not and get away with it. Not and be bothered by it. Not and be burdened by it. Not and be corrected by the Holy Spirit. Ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. That, that means that every one of us in this place, age doesn't matter. Gender doesn't matter. Color doesn't matter. Financial status doesn't matter. Where you live doesn't matter. What school you go to doesn't matter. What your occupation is doesn't matter. None of it matters. Everybody in this place, God has a plan for your life. And all we have to do is follow the plan that God calls us to do. And if each one of us follows our plan, it may take five or six of us over the course of two years to run into the same person and share the gospel. But if they get saved from hell two years later and it took six people, what difference does it make? But if any one of them along that chain doesn't do their part and the seed doesn't get watered. If you don't water a seed and you leave it in the ground for so long, what happens to the seed? It dies. So all it takes is for somebody to not come along and water the seed when we know God told us to. Do you, do you see how important your part is? Do you see how we're all part of this? Every, every single one of us have a piece in reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Lord willing, we'll, we'll start here. Next week, chapter 19, um, it's, my, it's my time. They told me I'm supposed to be out by now. I hope, God, I hope God gave you something. I hope God gave you something. Make, make it a point. Make it a point tomorrow. Go back and watch it if you have to. Make it a point tomorrow to let somebody see Christ in you. Make, make it a point tomorrow for each one of us. Make it a point when we get up in the morning, God, help me live this day. That's assuming that Jesus is going to come back in the morning and we live through tomorrow. I'd rather than just come. But if he does, we got a lot of friends and family members who are going to go to hell. So let's just, let's just say maybe he won't come and we got one more day to reach him, right? Pray in the morning, God, use this day. Help me to glorify you on this day. Use me to water a seed on this day. That somebody, in some way, you might reap a harvest through the things you've used me to do. God, thank you so much for being so good. Thank you, God, that you've given each one of us a plan, each one of us a purpose, God. Every one of us in here are independently different, yet we're all the same, one body of Christ, saved by the same grace, washed by the same blood, get given the same job, that is to go and tell the world about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, that was a commandment that you gave to each one of us, just go out and tell the world. Father, I pray you'd help us to be pleasing to you. Help us do exactly what you'd have us to do. We love you, God. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.